Wow. <laughs> Greetings, church. Uh, we are going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 23. Matthew 23. Uh, and as you can see there in your bulletins, we're going to be uh, looking at verses 25 through 28. So when you have it, you can just say, Amen. I'm going to read it, and then uh, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless his word. This is the word of the Lord. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we need your help now. Uh, Your word has been opened, and we need your help to hear it. We need your help to preach it. We need your help to keep kept from distraction, Lord. Would you incline our hearts? to your word. Would you help me to preach your word boldly? Uh, I, I, like all of us, am helpless without you. Um, And so we need your grace, and we ask you for it now so that Christ would be glorified in our midst, so that he would be lifted up, so that our hearts would look to him and be happy in him. We ask that you would do this uh, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's this garden in England, uh, maybe you've been there, I have not, um, I've read a lot about it though, uh, called the Alnwick Garden. And it is, it's this beautiful attraction in, in northern England, and there are acres of colorful plants, and, and there are roses, and there are fountains, and it's, 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 it, there's a castle next to it. Uh, but within the larger garden, there is this other garden that's kept behind some iron gates, and visitors are explicitly and clearly told not to stop and touch or smell the plants inside. They can see them, but they're not to touch them, and they're not to get too close to them. And that's because even though the 100-plus plants in this smaller garden are very, very beautiful, Every single one of the plants in the garden can kill you. They're all poisonous. And even though the the garden is very dangerous, the tours in the garden have been very useful to visitors because when visitors go to the garden and they get the guided tour, what they realize is some of these plants are growing in my backyard. (laughs) And I I didn't even know it. There were these beautiful uh, lilac plants. And they go, that, that can kill me? Yeah, it can kill you. Beautiful to the eye, but deadly to the body and right under their nose. 
And in our text today, Jesus is pointing out a similar danger, a similar problem with the Pharisees. He's pronouncing two, two more woes on them. We're in the middle of these Jesus' seven woes to the Pharisees. He's pronouncing two more horrors on them. Uh, and and, and, and they, are, they, are, they, they have to do with the fact that the Pharisees are very concerned with appearing beautiful and admirable in their religious devotion. And Jesus' warning is, is that this kind of beauty th that they display is actually a warning for how deadly they are. He is pronouncing judgment on them because they are focused only on ritual purity, appearing religious while they ignore the poison of sin that's living in their very own hearts. And in his pronouncing judgment on the Pharisees, the, the Lord Jesus uses two metaphors. Both of them connect to Jewish tradition, and, and we'll talk about uh, them specifically in a second. His first woe has to do with what is clean, and his second woe has to do with what is seen. And those are actually just going to serve as my two points for this morning. Feels good to say this morning and not this afternoon. Uh, so, so point number one, what is clean? And point number two, what is seen? And in pointing us to the Lord Jesus uh, in these points, I'll try to provide some ways I think we can apply this text to our lives uh, day to day when, when we leave here. Um, now, as we look at each metaphor, before we, before we dive in here, and as we consider what Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees, I do not want us to look at the Pharisees as these kind of caricatures of bad religion. Okay, so they were fallen people, and we are fallen people, which means that we live with the same internal condition of indwelling sin that they lived with. So, so, so we can look at the Pharisees and look down on them, but the only person that can really look down on the Pharisees is who? It's the Lord Jesus. He's the only person who can look at the Pharisees in judgment, which is exactly what he's doing. So, so we must read Jesus' woes on the Pharisees, even though we are not Pharisees, as warnings to us. This is why earlier he says to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out for it. If we're not careful, we're actually not that far off. So, so here's, here's what I want us to be mindful of uh, for ourselves as we hear from God's Word today. Here's what you ought to pay close attention to. In our fallenness, in our sinfulness, we are prone more than we realize. As I'm meditating on this passage this week, I just see it. It's, it's pervasive. We, we, we are more prone to work very, very hard at keeping watch over how Christian or how religious we appear before others rather than dealing with who we really are and keeping watch over our own hearts before the Lord. We are very prone to that. And this is act, what this does is it actually makes us no good to others. We become dangerous. And it's because of this and for this that Jesus died. So because Christ died to cleanse hypocrites from the appearance of godliness, we can leave here after I'm done preaching, and we can be honest with him and others about who we are and what we need from him, and we can keep watch over our own hearts with a clear conscience for the glory of God and the good of, of others. So with that in mind, let's consider Jesus' fifth woe, to the Pharisees in verse 25 and 26. And this will be our first point. What is clean? 
Look at verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. You see, each woe begins with the same exclamatory accusation. The Pharisees are hypocrites. They are pretenders. This is just another way that they, that they pretend. They are actors of religion. So here, Jesus' metaphor compares their hypocrisy to cleaning the outside of a cup and a plate, but not the inside. Now, it's likely that Jesus is referring to laws in Leviticus 11 and 15 about how to clean certain vessels after they've become, uh, in, they come into contact with an unclean animal or, or something else that's been considered unclean. Uh, and, and that would have made the vessel itself unclean. Let me just read to you from these two places in, in Leviticus. Uh, you can turn there if you like. Leviticus 11, verse 32. And anything on which any of them... Uh, falls when they are dead. So this is actually in reference to swarming animals like lizards and, and mice, things that swarm on the ground. It says, And anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, any article that is used for any purpose. It must be put into water and it shall be unclean until the evening. Then it shall be clean. And then the law in Leviticus 15 is about cleaning something that comes into contact with discharge from the body, probably like, like bowel movements. That's just what it means. So Leviticus 15, uh, verse 12. Just flip over a few pages. An earthenware vessel would have like been a vessel made of clay that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. So, so those are two places that, that uh, you could point to if you're asking, well, what is Jesus talking about here when he talks about cups and plates? Now, the Pharisees have taken these laws, which are actually meant to point to something else, which we'll talk about, and added all sorts of complex rules to them with additional steps and details, and they like to argue about them. So for example, if an earthen clay vessel was hollow, okay, this is one of the things that historians would say, this is, this is what they did, okay? If it was hollow and it was, it was clay, it can only become unclean on the inside and not on the outside. And then if it's a clay plate without a rim, uh, it could never be unclean. But a plate with a rim, although well, that could be unclean. If it's made of leather or glass or, or it's flat, it, it could not become unclean. But if it, had a little, if it had a little depth to it, like if it was a deeper, like a, like a bowl, well, then that could become unclean. So you see what the Pharisees are doing. Very, very practically, you will never get finished with the dishes. Ever. You'll, you won't finish them. You're straining all day to try and figure out what's the... I mean, this has a little indentation. I didn't get it from the store that way, but now it has a little dent in it. And I dropped it and it touched that, that animal. Is it unclean now? I mean... Well, we got it, it was whole, but now we love it so much we use it, there's a little hole in it now. Is that hollow? Like, do, is it clean? Is it not clean? And so people, they're, they're straining at, what do I do here? I want to be right before the Lord. What do I do? And what the Pharisees love to do is sit around and talk and argue and judge people about these made-up rules for household kitchenware. So, so one Pharisee says to another, listen, Bob, I stepped on a gecko. 
the other day. I killed it. And my wife, she, well, she, she, she's so clumsy. She accidentally dropped one of our clay plates on it. Can you believe that? And he's interrupted by another Pharisee. Was it a rimless plate? Did it have a rim on, on it? Yeah, it was. It was rimless. Ah, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm guessing what you did, you probably, Bill, you probably did the right thing, right? Yeah, I put it right on the table. Yeah, because that's, that's clean. Well done. Well done, brother. Good job. I know, he said, he'll say, I know, I remembered the rule. I remembered the rule. Now, now, if it had been one of our beveled plates, you know, I would have cleaned that because that has to be clean, right? Oh, yeah, it's got to be clean. Yeah, uh-huh. Wow, you're really wise. You pay so good attention to the rules. That's what they would do. And Jesus says, but inside the cup, it's full of greed and, and self-indulgence. The word greed comes from the word that means to pillage. It's extortion. You're, you're stealing. And the term self-indulgence is only found in the New Testament here and in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when Paul is talking about husbands and wives not depriving one another of intimacy because they have no self-control. Here it's used to describe someone who has no restraint. They just take without restraint. And we have to remember now that this is a metaphor. If we don't, we might ask the question, how do you fill a dish with greed and self-indulgence? Well, you don't. Kind of. What Jesus is pointing to is the fact that the Pharisees argued about what made a cup clean and a plate clean, and they would go to great pains to make sure that the dishes were clean, not only according to God's law, but to all the little laws and rules that they had made up themselves and all their little rituals. And all the while, the lentils in the cup are stolen. The food in the cup is stolen. I mean, the plate, though. <laughs> the plate is like top shelf. It's so ritually, ritually clean that, I mean, you could eat off it. It's so dope. The law has been kept to the letter. But it's like your eighth time at the buffet line, and you're knocking over women and children and, and, and hungry people to get there, and you're eating food that your body doesn't even need. You're full of, you have no restraint. What's on the plate is an indicator of what's in your heart. And Jesus says, you blind Pharisee. In other words, you're so proud about what you claim to be able to see a clean cup and a clean plate and how well you've kept the rules and the rituals that you don't see what actually matters. You. You matter. And so you, you, you don't see anything at all. Your heart is what matters, and you don't see it. Even so... Even what you claim to, 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 to be clean, and even what you claim is clean, is not clean. So, so the law of externals here is meant to have internal implications. This was the whole point of the law, to point to our sin, our lack of cleanliness, our lack of ability to, to keep it. And so Jesus is saying, forget about the dishes being clean. You need to be cleaned. Your heart needs to be cleaned. Dirty cups and, and, and dirty plates are meant to remind you of your heart that is, that is ruined by sin. 
and you're bickering over um, you're bickering over how clean your wooden cups are. They try to pin Jesus on the same kind of thing at the dinner party in Luke 11. Luke 11:37. 11, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now, you, you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. It's the same accusation. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. You, you care about what you can tell your dinner guests, about keeping clean, and, and you don't care about whether or not you've told the Lord anything about what's going on in your very own heart. And he sees it. He sees the inside as well as the outside. We know this. That's why Jesus says in verse 26, first, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. So leave the dishes and tend to your hearts is a lesson here. Leave, leave, leave that and, and, and tend to your hearts. You need to be cleansed of your sin and you, and you are not the ritual, right? So this was the Pharisees' pride that they thought the cup is clean, I am clean. I've kept the rule, I am clean. You've not kept the rule, you are not clean. Jesus is saying, you're not the rule. Like, that's not how you define yourself. Because that's not how God or his word defines you. You're a sinner. You are a sinner and your sin needs to be cleansed. You need, you need complete and total renewal and cleanliness, not just ritual cleanliness. And once you've dealt with your heart, the outside stuff, Jesus says, it will take care of itself. It is our hearts that are unclean, saints. And God is not fooled by any presentation or show to try and convince him that they're not unclean. Listen to Jesus' words to his disciples earlier in the book of Matthew. He called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And here are the Pharisees again. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And so what offends the Pharisees? What offends the Pharisees is, I've worked really hard to, to, to appear this way. You tell me it's worth nothing? And Jesus says, yeah, it's worth nothing if your heart is not cleansed, if it's not pure. Friends, if you don't know Christ, there is bad news and there is good news. You do not need to dress up your outside to come to Jesus. You cannot dress up your inside. You do not need to pretty yourself for God because he sees straight through external fronts. 
He sees straight through hypocrisy to your heart, and you cannot dress up your heart. And the good news is, you don't have to. Jesus died because we are a mess. He died because we are so wrought with sin. We're wicked. We're wretches. He died, and he died and shed his blood to pay the penalty that your wickedness and sin deserve. It's the eternal punishment and judgment of hell, and he died to pay for it. And if you trust in him, he will cover you. Listen to Isaiah. I mean, what's interesting about Isaiah chapter 1 is that in Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord has the same issues with the children of Israel that, he ha- that Jesus has with the Pharisees here. He says, your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. This is all the rituals. And he's saying, just stop. Just stop. Just stop. Wash yourselves, he says in verse 16. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. And then he says in verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins, not your rituals, your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So Jesus is... God come to be crucified for your sins so that you might be made clean. Whatever you are doing now to try and please him, it will do no good. You need a cleansing sacrifice. You need, you need, you need a sacrificial lamb. You need God's lamb. You need, you need Jesus. And, and I would implore you with Paul, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made Christ to be sin. He knew no sin, and he made him to be sin so that if we trust in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You might be clean. And, and, and saints, I, I do think that in Jesus' warning to the Pharisees here, we see the danger of what happens to a heart that is left unattended. The writer of the Proverbs says, keep your heart with all vigilance." He does not say, keep your appearance really nice. Make sure everybody sees that you know how to behave. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Your heart is where your life pours out. Your heart is where your life pours out. And so even if you try to present yourself as, I see, I, I got it all I'm doing well. I got it all together. I prayed the prayer. I, I come on time. I'm on time. I was here before everybody this morning. I came on time. <laughs> if you're not dealt with your heart, <laughs> you're, you've deceived yourself. Your heart is where life comes from, and so we're, we're called to look after it. And the Pharisees have neglected to pay attention to it. And what's happened to them? They end up full of greed and self-indulgence. I do think we ought to be watchful for some of the same kinds of corruption and hypocrisy in our own hearts. If we're not on guard, we can easily become consumed with ourselves 
and, and we become a bit more relaxed and, and about stopping ourselves before we wander into sin. We, we, we become a, a, a bit more relaxed about enjoying sin. And as we leave our hearts unattended but work to appear very religious, we deceive ourselves like blind Pharisees who don't see what's going on in their hearts because they're so wrapped up in what other people see. This was their blind spot. Neglect the heart, act religious. That was how they lived their life. And Jesus says, you've ruined your heart. It wasn't their neglect of duty or rule or, or, or the appearance of devotion to God. It was their neglect of bringing their heart before the Lord. So what I don't mean is that we ought to then sit in our thoughts and think about our sin over and over and over and over. That's not, that's not the instruction here. The instruction is Psalm 139, 23. Search me, self. That's not what it says. Search me. It's not what it says. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Help me. Help me. So we fight against hypocrisy and the keeping up of appearances in prayer private prayer. And we fight hypocrisy and being honest with God about what's going on in our hearts and, and knowing that we, if we lay our sin before him, he's merciful and just. He deals gently with the humble. And he knows that we're dust. Like he already knows. Why don't you just tell him? It's for you. It's not like he go, oh, well, I'm glad you said that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you were struggling with that. <laughs> if you never would have said anything, I never would have known. Thank you. It's for you. It's for you. Like the veil was, we just sung it. The veil was torn for you to go in and confess and lay it bare. The seeds of hypocrisy only need the water of neglect of prayer to grow. That's what they need. That's it. So take care of your soul. Guard your heart. Look after you. I mean, I was just so wrecked. We're getting ready to preach. I'm getting ready to preach the message. And I, and I can't remember how I said it to him. I said, I'm looking forward to the word of the Lord. I'm not looking forward to what God is about to do to me. <laughs> like, but in the, same, in the same way that God wrecks us, he brings us to himself. And says, I love you. I know. A prayer of mine that I've been meditating on has been, Father, may we, myself first, and as a church, be more concerned with bringing our sin to you at the foot of the cross and not concerned with bringing whatever our personal brand of Christianity is to other people. God help us. This is the heavy yoke that Jesus has come to lift, saints. The work we, we consider the work that the Pharisees went to to make sure, I mean, to clean the plate. And then they're going, I'm going to be able to talk about this when I see, when I see Joe. He's going to love that. I mean, what work? 
it takes to keep up appearances. The, the work of keeping the outside nice and clean when you're ignoring the mess in your heart, that takes work. And Jesus says, that's a heavy burden, you know. I've come to give you a light burden. And in their pride, the Pharisees have convinced themselves that only the outside of their lives needs to be clean for them to be presentable. Maybe people are impressed, maybe even, uh, maybe even a little intimidated. They are so holy. Like, what? They washed like eight plates. Did you see that? They skipped a meal to wash the plates. And Jesus says earlier in Matthew, I think it's 15, truly, truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Saints, may God help us to consider what true cleanliness is. He continues in verse 27 as we move to our second point here, what is seen. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So this is Jesus' second metaphor, and he compares the Pharisees to tombs that have been washed or painted white. A little context here is helpful to get the full force of what Jesus is saying with this, with this metaphor. In Jesus' day, there were tombs that were cut out of rock. And, and oftentimes they would serve as multiple grave sites uh, with, with separate chambers inside for family members. They would build ledges uh, in there, and, and, and when another family member would die, they'd put them on the ledge. And as the graves would fill up, they would move some of the bodies off, put the bones in jars, and make room for other bodies. And so these, these, these tombs would become very crowded and full of, full of dead people's bones. And... They would decorate the outside. There were, there were beautiful tombs. And some of them were, were just beneath the Temple Mount. And so the, the, the disciples and Jesus would have seen them as they walked to the Mount of Olives. Every time they went, they would see these beautiful tombs with arches and columns and, and, and beautiful uh, sculpting. And, and they were painted white every year, uh, usually in the spring, to alert the Jews who were passing by that this is a place of uncleanness. Do not touch it. If you, if you touch it, you are considered ritually unclean. And so the beauty and the whitewashing of the tomb is not really so people will say, isn't that beautiful? I mean, look at that beautiful white grave. It's gorgeous. I mean, that's not even why we go to cemeteries. We go there to grieve and, and remember loss. And, 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 and here, the, 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 white, the, the, the irony of Jesus' metaphor is that whitewashed tombs were not objects of beauty at all. They were places you're supposed to stay away from. Don't go near it. And so when Jesus mentions the whitewashing of a tomb, it has nothing to do with the beauty of the gravesites. He's pointing out the fact that the scribes and Pharisees' obsession over ritual, uh, uh, rituals and, and keeping their own laws and keeping up appearances makes them just as unclean as the whitewashed graves. Their straining at religion is actually a warning. Beware of them. Be, watch out. Their, their intentional appearance, mere appearance of religion is deceptive. Beware. So you also outwardly, he says, appear righteous. 
to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So remember, Jesus' disciples are standing there. This isn't this like this is a crowd now. The crowd's still there. And so this is Jesus giving a woe to the Pharisees and also warning his disciples. You see how hard they work at, at keeping up appearances. Don't listen to them. They are dangerous. And so just as a whitewashed tomb is a danger to someone's ritual cleanliness, the, the religious hypocrisy that these Pharisees have is, is dangerous and harmful to the souls of others. They become beautiful, but very poisonous plants. It's not that the scribes and Pharisees were deliberate and self-conscious hypocrites, but that in their meticulous religious regulations, they appeared to be so virtuous and so God-honoring, and people would want to come to them and, and, and seek counsel from them, but they'd be contaminating them. This is what he says in verse 15, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You're, you're dangerous. They're preoccupied with keeping up appearances and making up additional rules and laws for themselves. And others, as a result, are coming to them and being corrupted. And as a result of all this, he says, you are full. You are full of all kinds of wickedness. Jesus says of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So from Jesus' perspective, they're keeping the law is actually, the way they keep the law is actually lawless. They're being extra, as some would say. You're being so extra right now in your religion. And Jesus says, well, that's lawlessness. That's not religion at all. What's interesting is devotion to Jesus is way more simple than the Pharisees seek to make it out to be. Devotion to God is, is, is simple. Richard Baxter says this, the, the gaudiness of men's religion is not the best sign that it is sincere. Simplicity is the ordinary attendant of sincerity. That's why we love simple saints. Just talk, just talk to me about Jesus and what he's done for me. I mean, the songs we sung are, are rich theologically, but they're simple. It must have been the blood. Simple yet deeply profound. And as one commentator puts it, Christians are not Pharisees, but we can act like Pharisees. I do not think it's, 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 it's possible for any true Christian to be a full-blown and absolute hypocrite, just like the Pharisees. Why is it not possible? Well, first of all, none of us holds to their religious ideologies. No one in here is a former Pharisee. Like no one in here knows any of their, like all the rituals and all the rules, everything. No one is an actual, like I was an actual Pharisee like Paul. Just not true. At least that I know of. I've done all, I know most of all your testimonies, at least if you're members here. <laughs> we also know that we could, if you're in Christ, you could never please God with your works. Like we know that. You can never fool him by being well-behaved. We know that. Every Christian knows that they're a sinner and that they're hopeless without Christ and that they, all, they need God's grace or they are, they are lost. In order to do that, you have to lay down your hypocrisy. So our proclamation as believers is not, look what I've done to make myself clean and presentable. 
No one, no, at least member of this church, if you sat them down, would say, yeah, I agree with that. No one agrees with that. That is a, that is a true Christian. But rather, our, our claim is, I am hopelessly offensive. I am unclean. I am unworthy. I am unrighteous. I am messed up. And I am unpresentable before God. But he has made me clean. Amen. He's washed me in the blood of his son. And I have nothing apart from him, and he is all I need. Amen. But we can forget this. And in our forgetfulness, we can pretend and put on a face. We can act like a hypocrite. We can act like a hypocrite. And friends, our, our work at only trying to appear Christian actually makes us no good to others at all, especially those in the household of faith. Hypocrisy makes us dangerous. If you are a different person online than you are in public, you become dangerous. If you are a different person at home than you are right now, you become dangerous. I do think uh, we have an example of this with Peter in Galatians. Galatians 2, I would like you to turn there. I do think it's important to, to just read this closely. Galatians 2, 11 through 13. Galatians 2, 11 through 13. But when Cephas came to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, talking about Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, with, but when they came he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. You see, his hypocrisy comes from what? Fear of man? And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas is the one who Barnabas is the encouraging one. He's the one who 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 commands Paul when he first comes to Christ. He, he he's he he's the one who was looked to. Is that he's like mad encouraged? I want to be around Barnabas. And, and, and here we see Peter's hypocrisy doing what? Rubbing off on Barnabas. It makes Peter dangerous. He's led another brother astray just in his example, in his giving in to the fear of man and wanting to appear a certain way before other people. Other people are led away by hypocrisy. His very own friend, Peter, leads him away. It's dangerous, saints. Hypocrisy is dangerous, and if we think it doesn't hurt others, we have been deceived like the Pharisees. And, and so, as we close here, what are we to do? I mean, what's, what's the application here? If, if, if we see these woes upon the Pharisees and we're warned, what are we to do? I, I think we do first just have to remember that we're, we're just as susceptible as forgetting who we actually are. We're broken, failures, we're sinners who Jesus came to save. We can easily fall into patterns of hypocrisy and working to appear religious. I think one just simple reminder is to remind yourself of this. And, 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 one, and one way to, I think, keep watch over your heart is by inviting others into your life to watch out for these things. That's what, that's what Paul does for Peter. I oppose him to his face. That's loving, okay? That's loving. Like, yo, we, not, we don't do that. Look at Barnabas. Look what happened. 
This requires you to be known. It requires you to be intentionally known by others. doesn't mean everybody, but you need to have people that know you. Just a very practical example of this with a cup. This was so interesting that this just happened yesterday. I emptied a coffee cup into the sink. Um, I drank coffee, and then I went into the little kitchen over there, and Valter's at the sink doing dishes, and I just quickly rinsed out the cup, and, and I went and put it in the strainer. And Valter goes, yo, that's not clean. I said, what do you mean? I, it's not, he's like, it's not clean, man. <laughs> and he hands me the cup, and I look at it, and there's like just stuff on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> now, if he had not been there, if he had not been there, if he had not been watchful, I would have put a dirty cup in the strainer and somebody would have taken a drink and got a mouthful of, I don't know what that was. <laughs> I don't know. But the point is, God has given us a community of spirit-filled believers to point out, yo, that's not clean. That's not clean. I love you. Let's go rinse that in the blood. That's not clean. You have to live that way or you will drift into hypocrisy. I think just kids, just a simple reminder, this is one of the reasons that God has given you parents to point out when you are in danger and to show you how scary your sin is. The scariest thing in your life is your sin and being far from the Lord. And God has given you a mom and a dad who love Jesus, if they do, and, and they, they're there to show you, hey, guess what? When you sin, that's dangerous. It keeps you far from God. But Christ Jesus came to die for your sin. And if you give it to him, he will forgive you because he loves you. If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, talk to mom and dad. Say thank you for them. Talk to, talk, to your, talk to the pastors. We'd be happy to tell you about what it means to follow Jesus. He gives us helpers, community, faithful brothers and sisters to point out when things are not clean in our lives. Secondly, we, we just need to be honest in prayer with the Lord. The difference between the Pharisees and the weak person is this. The Pharisees are aware of what they're doing and do not care. But if you hear Jesus' words and you say, this is me, like this is me, take it to the Lord in prayer and know that there is grace for you. He loves giving grace to, hip, to people who are, who are struggling with hypocrisy. He loves to give you grace. He gives grace to the humble. So we must keep ourselves before the cross, saints. I, I, I just also think that these kinds of tendencies to sin, just they are killed with worship, right? So you, 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 when we look away from ourselves and we ask for the Spirit's help to be more moved by God's glory and see Him as He is, we, like it changes us. When we ask for the Spirit's help to be, to be moved by God's glory more than we are moved by how others see us, He gives us help. And so what's, what's sobering is that the Pharisees are the religious people. They're familiar with the law. And it ought to keep us on guard of becoming familiar 
with Christianity and, and following Jesus to the point that we neglect worship of him. The Pharisees became so familiar with God as an idea and a rule to be followed that they did not care about him as a person, holy and pure and worthy of praise. And I do think that Satan will leave you alone to your good behavior. He is happy to have you behave well. If, if that means that you do not go and worship and, 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 and humble need and adoration to the person of Jesus Christ. He's happy to permit you to be publicly religious and uninterrupted so long as you do not go to God in private, in worship, in sincere confession and need and repentance and adoration. As long as I don't aim to be clean on the inside, Lord, renew me, create a, give me a new, a, a new spirit in me. He's happy to leave me to whatever I think I'm doing, whatever I think it is that I'm calling Christianity. One writer says, no man can for any considerable time wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which one is true. So saints, it's been a theme as we've been walking through these woes. We can be honest with God and others about who we are because he sees us for who we actually are. And because if we're in Christ, we're already clean. You don't have to do the dance. Like, you don't have to. And the longer you do it, the more you get convinced. Oh, I guess this is how I really am. No, it's not. If you're in Christ, his blood covers you. He makes you clean. His perfect life speaks for you. And in Christ, you have someone who didn't just act religious. He was actually pure on the inside and the outside. This is my beloved son, the Father says in whom I am well pleased. When you go to Christ, remember that you are going as a pure, purified believer. Listen to Richard Sebbs when he talks about the purity that we have in Christ as I close here. He says, our nature is now acceptable to God in Christ because he has purified it in himself. And God's nature is lovely to us because he has taken our nature. If God loved his own son, he will love our nature as joined to his son. And God's nature is lovely to us. He took our flesh upon him and made himself bone of our bone. And when we are resting in the sufficiency of Christ and not our own, we don't have to strain to clean the outside of the cup or to pretend to be something that we are not. We become useful pointers to the risen Christ when we're honest that we all need him. When we're honest that we're not whitewashing and trying to cover up, we can say, I'm covered in the blood of Christ. I need it. You need it. Let's go to him for help. We become useful, helpful, not dangerous. Friends, Christ died to cleanse hypocrites from the danger of the sinful appearance, the mere appearance of godliness. And we can be honest with him. We can be honest with one another. And we can keep watch over our hearts and our souls to his glory. And we're going to ask him for help to do that right now. Let's, let's pray. Father, we do pray uh, that you would help us. We all are prone to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Would you help us to read your word with humility, knowing that it's Christ alone that gives grace to humble sinners who come to him. We pray that even as we sing, 
Lord, that, that we would mean the words that we sing. Would you help us by your spirit to mean what we say? And would you endure our hearts to Christ so that he would be more lovely to us uh, than the approval of anyone? Make us useful, Father. Make us useful as we look to, to Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother, for preaching Christ to us from God's Word. Saints, it's fitting as, as we have been addressed by, by God's Word in, in preaching to, to take some time to, to reflect, to see how this may speak to us, and it seems appropriate to introduce that time of reflection with the words of David in Psalm 139 once more. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's take some time to reflect, saints. <laughs> 